0: Open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 1 this morning. As I mentioned last week, we're going to step out of our study of the book of Ephesians for a couple of weeks, a number of weeks actually, all of December, and uh, most likely, Lord willing, the very first Sunday of January as well, as I introduced the theme for next year that Chris mentioned just a bit ago in his prayer. But we're going to take some time on uh, Sunday mornings uh, in December to Uh, Just to do some focus on the fact that Jesus Christ came. It's the time of year that we do things like this, and uh, you know, I often I struggle sometimes with uh, with with well, my family knows, or my wife is not here this morning, but uh, knows that I for many years in my life I was not much of a Christmas person. Uh, Sometimes I was called a Scrooge. Actually, I was uh, not. I don't know. I just didn't get that excited about Christmas, and. Uh, I still struggle sometimes with, with uh, preaching an entire series or a shorter series based on Christmas when it's a story we know so well and we do so much with. And I think sometimes I got a little Scrooge-like because I felt like we just make it about a whole bunch of other stuff that has nothing to do with Jesus. And so, you know, honestly, the reproof there from the Father for me was that, that my role would be to change that, Right would be to, to help us to see that it's about Jesus, not to just uh, get a frown on my face and go hide in a corner when that happens. And I invite you, as we uh, read from Luke chapter 1, we're going to read Zechariah's prophecy is where we're going to be at. So it's at the end of Luke chapter 1, which is a long chapter. But at the end of Luke chapter 1, we're going to read from Zechariah's prophecy this morning and actually every morning uh, for the next couple of weeks. So we're going to get our entire series of Christ has come, Christ has arrived, We're going to get that entire series out of these verses, and I invite you, as we do that, it is a story we know so well, which, by the way, is a good thing. We should know the story well, right? It is the, it's the, it's the unfolding of the very thing that changed my life and your life dramatically. It changed the outcome of your life. I hope you can see that. I hope you read it and hear it and understand it for that purpose, that it's the story of God doing something that we could not have done for ourselves, that completely reversed the outcome of our lives. So we ought to celebrate Jesus' coming, and we ought to do so with joy, with gladness, with, uh, with peace among us. We ought to do so with excitement. We ought to roll out the red carpet, as it were, not so that we can indulge in ourselves, but so that we can appreciate God for what he has done. And I, my prayer is that as we go through this series, that... Um, uh, we can see some things with fresh eyes, perhaps, so we, uh, we can think about this again and just be warmed in our hearts again. But let's read the text this morning. Luke chapter one, I'm gonna start reading in verse 68 because I wanna read just the prophecy that Zechariah had. Now, Zechariah, to put it in context, Zechariah is the father of a man that we know as John the Baptist. He was just John when he was born, but he became known as John the Baptist because he was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. His own, uh, whoops, his own, uh, Uh, Birth was miraculous, and God visited Zechariah when he was in the temple, and after he was born and his tongue was loosened, then Zechariah, it says in verse 67, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he began to speak. Here's what he said. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And then he probably looked at his actual son, Father, would you speak to us this morning? Would you impact us this morning with your word? May your spirit illuminate that which needs to be illuminated to us. May our hearts be refreshed. May our joy be renewed. May we be be reminded of Jesus' words this season as we celebrate the fact that Jesus has come. May we be reminded of his words to us that we can come to him, we can learn from him, We can take His yoke upon us, for His yoke is easy and His burden is light. May we rest in You, Jesus, for You have truly come. And what a delight, what a joy, what a gift that was to us. Teach us this morning, Father. I pray in Your name. Amen. Zechariah's prophecy is long and is well. I mean, it's fairly long. I suppose it could have been longer as he's speaking it, but as it's written out, it's, it, and he's covering a lot of ground as he does it. He shares some different things and just sort of an overview. He's blessing God, God for what God has been doing or what God is now unfolding through the birth of John and ultimately through the birth of Jesus Christ. He says, God spoke about this from a long time ago and now is bringing to pass. One of the things that I'm, uh, I have in mind to do, maybe not so much directly all the time, or maybe not so much teaching out of scripture necessarily. But one of the things I have in mind to do as we celebrate that Christ has come and we talk about his first coming is for us to realize that much of what we're talking about can also be applied to Christ's second coming. That we are awaiting his coming again. That God has spoken of it and has said it's going to happen and we are waiting for that day to come. Zachariah was in that position, right? He's waiting for the Messiah to come, for him to be born. But he said, God spoke about this. He promised it. And now he's unfolding it. And the things he's unfolding is that we should be saved. And that we should be saved for a reason. So that we can serve him. And he begins to look at his own child and say, you are going to be a forerunner. You're going to prepare the way. You're going to let people know. It's as if, if you visualize this morning. How many of you saw Did any of you see the sunrise this morning? The sunrise was amazing this morning. But it's almost as if you were in the dark And you began to see the first glimmers, which I actually saw the first glimmer like south of us, not actually in the east. But I saw the first glimmer of light beginning to come. And he's saying, you, he's saying to John, his son, he's saying, you're going to go before him and let people know, hey, the sun's about to rise. It's been dark, but the sun's about to rise. Once again, I just encourage you to see the overlay between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. And the purpose that we have, which we're going to let all that come to us as we go through the text. But I want to start this morning with a little phrase that comes at the very beginning of his prophecy, and I want to talk about the fact that when Christ has come, it means that God has visited us. And I want to just ask us this morning to not rush too far down the line of what Jesus did for us, and to allow this idea, this thought, this incredibly mind-blowing amazing thing that happened, that God came and visited us. Now, when Christ came, God was not just out there and up there and in his realm, on his throne, but that God came and visited us. This comes right from the very beginning of of the prophecy. I did take out one phrase, which doesn't change it. I just don't want to focus on this morning. I don't, I mean, I'm not intending on changing it. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited his people. I dropped out the redeemed. We'll talk about that in coming weeks yet. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. May God be blessed. So before I go on to tell you all the incredible things about what it looks like or means that God visited us, I I, I want to just pause and, and insert a very practical statement at the very beginning. I mean, I think it's the intention of every time we get together for church, and hopefully not just for church, but in your lives. But certainly, I want to tell you that the intention of the study of Scripture and the intention of recognizing that God has visited us and the joy that brings us and the response that will bring from us, the point of that is that we would be a blessing to God, that God would be blessed. And... The purpose of your holiday celebration, your Christmas celebration, your celebration of the coming of Jesus Christ is that God would be blessed. We experience blessings. We experience, I I love getting together with family. I love having uh, times together. We we play games. We exchange some gifts. We we just hang out with each other. We enjoy good food together. All kinds of things that I enjoy and all kinds of things that are blessings that look around at my family, my immediate and extended family at Christmas time. But the point of it is that God would be blessed. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited his people. You know, three out of the four gospels pick up this theme that something amazing was happening when Jesus was born and it's the fact that God came and visited us, that God came to be with us. When Matthew starts off his gospel, he's talking about the fact uh, he, the angel comes and visits uh, Mary and says, you're going to have a son. You're supposed to call him Jesus. And Matthew 1.23, he says, behold, the virgin. He's saying, this is what he, he's saying this is to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah said. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God has visited us. God came. God came. When John starts his gospel, he does the same thing. He doesn't use as much direct language at the beginning, but he's making a point. So let me just read those words, or maybe you know them by heart. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So he makes the point right at the beginning that Jesus, the Word, was God. And then travel down a few verses. There's a lot of good verses in between there, but travel down a few verses, and John writes these words. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God came to visit us. Now, I'd like to ask you just to spend a a bit of contemplation, have a little time of contemplation, get a little contemplative Just reflect a bit. What does it mean when the almighty creator God of whom there is no one more powerful, no one matches up to him, no one can equal him, no one can stop him. He's perfect in purity and in holiness and in righteousness and in justice and in love and in peace and in all the things you could, all the attributes of God you can come up with. He's perfect in all of us. He is so far above us when he spoke things they came into existence by him or through him, through Jesus. They're all held together in existence. What does it mean when he comes here and visits us? What does that do? This morning in our, God, in our Sunday school lesson, we talked about the fact that God calls himself the I am, the eternal one, the self-existent one, the one, as, we, as one of the people in our Sunday school class said, the one who needs no explanation. The one whom you cannot stack him up next to anything else and say, well, this is how you compare. Because he's incomparable. What does it mean that he came here? Just think about that for a moment. Maybe get even much more detailed about that. Like, it is our theology, right? I hope it's your theology. It's my theology that God created you. He formed you. In the womb, in the innermost parts, before you were born, God knew you and knit you together. That's what scripture says. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He created you. Now, what does it mean for the God that can do those kinds of intricate things through all of these elaborate things we have inside of us called DNA and cells and all kinds of stuff I don't even understand? What does it mean that he came and visited us, that he came and dwelt among us, that he came to be God with us, like beside us? among us. We know the story of Scripture eventually in us. What does that do to you? How does that make you feel? How does that change your perspective? All the excitement... I know I can say this and I know it's hard. All the excitement of Christmas that you could possibly drum up or possibly experience is fulfilled or is, is surpassed if it's about something else. But you can't find any more, maybe I said it was, You can't find any more exciting news than that. You can't find anything we more desperately need than this. Than the fact that God, who is powerful and mighty and unstoppable and knows all things and can do all things. I already said that. It means the same thing as unstoppable. But that God came down into our world and visited us. But there's more. There's more behind, actually, what Zechariah is saying than just the fact that God came. You know, there are actually a number of cultures or religions, faiths that would talk about, even in, in a pantheistic worldview, that would talk about God coming and visiting, or gods coming and visiting them. And sometimes it was good and sometimes it wasn't good. Sometimes they came to, uh, to bring devastation or wreak havoc on the world. But there's actually more to this word, Zechariah says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited his people. I didn't put the Greek word up there or the definition, but the word there for visit is the word episkeptomai, which you don't care about probably. But the word skeptomai, that base word, has more to do with seeing than it does with being present. It has to do with, like, you could, if you want to put some parallel words behind there because the word epi in front of it, which means thoroughly or all around, it's that he has inspected If you're an inspector this is what you do. You have to look through things and you have to not only like, you have to, you have to see what's happening but you have to make judgments based upon it and say whether it's right or wrong or, or you have to be able to do something about it. When it says, when Zechariah said that God has visited His people, he was not just saying that God came down and said, I'm just gonna hang out with you guys for a while. He said God has inspected us. He has inspected our condition. He has acknowledged, or he knows what, what, what the, what the present situation is like and has said, I'm going to come and be, I'm going to move down in that direction. In fact, it echoes a story that is very well known. If you were here in Sunday school this morning, you were actually studying. In fact, you were reading some of the words that I'm going to read for you this morning because they, they, there's an echo of a story that's already happening. I would tell you, by the way, this is not the echo. That what I'm telling you about this morning is not the echo, up here is sort of the pre-echo. It's, it's actually pointing to the real story that God was un- going to be unfolding. But if you go all the way back in your Bibles, you should probably flip there so you can read these words. Exodus chapter uh, 2. Let's start there in Exodus chapter 2. At the end of Exodus chapter 2, here's what we read. Exodus chapter 2 verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And then look at this. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. That word saw is the Old Testament Hebrew equivalent of the Greek New Testament word that I just read to you. Episkeptomai, that God has visited his people. You see, to visit doesn't just mean that, that he, he, he came down and, 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 and hung out with us, like I said, but it's that he saw us in our condition and our need, and he knew something had to be done. It's the same word and the same concept that's carried in Exodus chapter two. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. By the way, can I just tell you, I say this about a lot of different things, so I hope he, he doesn't It doesn't lessen the effect when I use this, but can I just tell you, this is one of the verses I think in all of Scripture that brings us incredible comfort. Incredible comfort. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. So we could say, we could put ourselves there, right? God sees us and God knows. He knows what it's like. He knows what we're facing. He knows our disappointments and our fears and our triumphs and our joys and our sins and our hang-ups and our victories. God knows all of those things. God sees you in your situation and God knows. I can't, I can't offer you any more comforting words. I could sit for all day long and let you talk and unload and share all the burdens of your heart, and it still does not come anywhere close to the truth contained in this verse that God sees you, and he knows. He knows the condition, and he knows where you're at, and he knows what you need. And as we find out, he can do something about that. He does do something about that. As we read and continue reading in Exodus chapter 3, let me just, uh, in in Exodus here, and I'm going to look in chapter 3 here. We read these verses this morning, Sunday school. Verse 7 now of chapter 3. When God is appearing to Moses in a bush that is burning but not being consumed, not burning up. Then the Lord said to Moses, I have surely seen, there's that word, the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land. God says all those things I just said to Moses. I have seen my people. I have seen their struggles. I have seen their bondage. I have seen their slavery. I have heard their cries of groaning. I have known the kinds of things that the taskmasters are asking of them that they cannot ever fulfill. I have heard of them. I have, I I know all of this trouble. And I am coming down to deliver them. To remove them out of that slavery and bondage into a place, a good place. A land of milk and milk and honey. As Moses and God continue to have a conversation, you know Moses is a pretty reluctant uh, figure or participant in this conversation, or at least in the action that's going to come out of it. And God has continued to talk to him. And Moses says, and again, we covered this this morning. Moses says, who am I supposed to say came? And God says, I am who I am. And he says, say this, the God of Moses, uh, say this to, to the people that the God of the, your father is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's him. And he goes and gives him some instructions. In verse 16, he says, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me. And this is what he says. I'll put this verse up here so you can read it. Well, you can read it out of your Bible, too, of course. God says to all the people of Israel, at least to the elders, in it, through them to all the people, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. I read this to you this morning because it is the forerunner. It is the precursor to the story that we're reading that's unfolding in Luke. For us, that story is in the past now. It's no longer looking forward. But I told you already, it is the story that's again pointing to the eventual second coming of Jesus Christ. So it still has application for us. But the point I'm making is that God has looked upon his people and knows the need that they have, the bondage they're in, the help that they need, the deliverance they're in search of. And he says, I will come down. I will visit them. Again, the idea of visiting carries the idea that I've seen them, I know the need, and I will come and rescue them. I will come and change the outcome of what's happening. Let me give you one more piece of practical advice because I find it here in the book of Exodus. Yes, I find application for our Christmas season from the story of the deliverance of the people of Israel in the book of Exodus. If you would continue reading there in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 4, Moses does indeed, after some convincing, goes back down and he appears before the people of Israel and he uh, performs a couple of signs in front of them and he wants to convince them that God has appeared to him and that that God is going to use Moses to uh, work powerfully in front of Pharaoh and going to be delivering them out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery. And in Exodus chapter 4 verse 31 we read this. And when the people, be- uh, the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Make sure you understand the scene that's there. So on that day, when Moses had heard from God and God said, I want you to go to the people and tell them that God, that I, am, I, I know their, their groanings, I've heard their cries, I see the affliction they're in, and I'm going to come down and deliver them, and you're going to be the one I use, and you go and tell them that. When they became convinced of that, they believed in that. They said, God has visited us. God has come, and God knows our need, and he's going to come deliver us. When they believed in that, then they bowed their heads, and they worshiped. Today... When I read to you out of the Gospel of Luke, and I tell you that one of the most important first things about the truth the reality that Christ has come, that he was born as a baby, he grew up as a man, he gave his life for us, he came out of the grave, he's going back into, he went back into heaven, he's coming back for something When I tell you that Christ has indeed come, our response to God visiting us is no different than this. They bowed their heads and worshiped. When we realize or understand how momentous it is, how monumental it is, how unbelievable it is that God Almighty came and visited us, he saw our need and thought it worthy to step down into our big mess and rescue us, our response is to bow our heads and worship. For we truly know that there is no God like him if he's willing to do that. Let's be clear, whose mess was it? Whose mess was it? Our mess. Whose problem is it? Our problem, my problem, your problem. Who needed rescuing? We did. What did we have to offer? <laughs> Come on, what did we have to offer? Nothing. When we come to understand that the Almighty God, the Creator of heaven and earth, who is perfect and pure and righteous and holy, who created everything, and His creation, especially His most precious creation, turned away and chose to serve their own desires instead of worshiping Him. When we realize that He saw our bondage and our need and stepped into our world, sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to take on flesh which is a misnomer of all misnomers, that God, who is spirit and God of all power, would hinder himself or or contain himself inside of this fleshly body, these fleshly bodies. When we begin to realize that, our response is no different than this. When they saw that God had visited and seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. Can I encourage us this Christmas season to have our heads bowed a lot more? to do a lot more worshiping. To be just as concerned with whether we are bowing our heads and worshiping as we are with whether our Christmas tree looks right or whether we have the right gifts or whether our food turned out all right or whether we're going to make it to the Christmas get-together on time or whether we got everyone dressed just right or whether we're all matching or whether all those things. Not that any of those things are bad. I hope you get there on time and I hope you do all those other things too. But may we be much more concerned About the fact that God came to visit us through Jesus Christ. And that demands a response of bowing our heads and worshiping the Almighty. That he would care for us enough to do that. That he would love us enough to do that. That he would see us worth it enough to do that. So, part number one of the fact that Jesus Christ came... It's the simple fact that we want to be reawakened to the fact that God has visited us. doesn't just mean he came to be with us, but that he saw our need. He sees our need. And he gets right down in the nitty-gritty, dirty. He was born in a stable, right? If that doesn't show you that he's willing to go to the absolute dirtiest, rotten, God-forsaken places, that you and I find ourselves in sometimes. I don't know what will. Let's worship him this morning. Father. I pray that our hearts and our minds may take a step back so to speak. Figuratively speaking. From this season of, of all our normal Christmas stuff. And even in the midst of our normal Christmas celebrations of Jesus Christ. And our singing of carols. And our, all of that. That we take a step back. And we ponder afresh the fact that you, God, came to visit us. You saw our need. You inspected. You saw the reality. You saw the state that we were in. You saw the bondage. You saw the deliverance that we needed. You saw the help that we needed, the salvation that we needed. You saw that we were left wanting, and though it was entirely of our choices that we were left wanting, you came down. You sent your son, Jesus Christ, when the time was right to be born under the law, so that we who were under the law might become free, might become, come, be set free from the bondage of sin, the result of our, uh, the bondage of death, the result of our sin, if I get that said right. I ask God, if I can ask this for myself, for my family, for all of us, if I can be so bold. And I pray there's some here who would agree with me, but I ask God that you, through the Holy Spirit, would take every and any opportunity that's possible, that you would cause us, that it was to be strong enough in us through the Holy Spirit, that you would cause us to stop and to ponder as we move through the next number of weeks here. Stop and ponder. What an incredible thing. What an incredible gift. What, what it means that you came and visited us. That the word became flesh. That Emmanuel came. God with us. That you step down. Jesus, I'm reminded of the words that Paul would pen as he looked back. And certainly had in mind all of your life, Jesus, not just the birth, but it applies to the birth for you. Though you were equal with God, you did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but you humbled yourself. You emptied yourself and took on the form of man. And being found in that form, you've humbled yourself even further that you might be put to death, even death on a cross. It's for those reasons that people penned songs, Jesus. Oh, come, let us adore him. Glory to God in the highest. Joy to the world. For you have looked upon your people. You have seen our affliction. You have come and visited us, God, through Jesus Christ. I thank you that Christ has come. May we worship you. May we adore you. Bow down. Humble ourselves. Declare that there's no one greater and give ourselves to you. In obedience, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you have come. We pray in your precious name. Amen.